Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Folland. Thanks for listening. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by FreeAgent, the award-winning cloud accounting software loved and trusted by over 60,000 freelancers and small businesses. You could be one of them. I already am. To claim your one-month free trial, visit freeagent.com slash being freelance. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for digital marketing strategist Nathan Alote. Freelancing became a way for me to pay for things or, in a sense, increase my salary when I felt I wasn't getting enough from the day job. But a lot of skills I learned and did on my own in side projects, that's what landed me a higher paying position. My goal for the podcast is not to get one million downloads. My goal was to create a central place for learning that I wish I had when I started as a freelancer. I'll be honest, if I did not have any student loans, I, I would have went like full time a long time ago. Yes. So here we go with another story. That is Nathan. We are heading towards episode 150, 150 stories from freelancers from around the world uh, being shared right here. Make sure you hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss them. If you haven't heard them in the past, go back and have a listen. Remember, it doesn't matter what they do, you know, compared to you, if you're a coder and they're a writer or they're a graphic designer and you cannot design a thing for toffee but hey you are amazing at editing audio whatever it's all about the being freelancer is it we've even had an athlete i i could not be further from an athlete and he was awesome as well that was on the live episode actually from last season go take a look beingfreelance.com hit subscribe and of course If you enjoy what you hear, then please do share it with other people, both on social media, but also in real life when you bump into them. And maybe think about leaving a review. If you can consider that, that would be awesome as well. Don't forget, I'm also doing the vlog and there's articles, there's all sorts. So do take a look, beingfreelance.com. Right now, though, let's crack on and hear from this week's guest over in Houston in Texas. And that is digital marketing strategist Nathan Alote. Hey, Nathan. Hey, how's it going? It's an honor to be here on the podcast. So definitely listen to many episodes and yeah, it's surreal that I'm here. So thank you for having me. Thank you so much for doing it. How about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? So I'm in college and I learned a few things from a free download that our university had for the Adobe suite. Now I played around in there a little bit, but I wasn't thinking any of those skills could lead to a job or a position because I was in school for engineering. So you go to school for a specific subject and then you move on to get a job. That was my plan. And I graduated with a degree, got a a job. But one of my first jobs out of university was working at a web hosting company. And while I was there, I learned quite a bit. Many people were smart at the company. Many people had side projects going on, but I learned a lot about the internet itself, how websites work, as well as what was the demand for different things. So the web hosting company, you know, they were responsible for servers and getting people on the internet, but they didn't do any client services such as web design or anything like that. But any person that I worked with, whether it be through a support ticket or speaking to them on the phone, Everybody was talking about they wanted a website, but that's not what we did. So I started thinking, well, maybe I can provide that service. Not to poach, 
customers from the company, but just thinking that if there's such a large demand, this is going somewhere in the future. So I started learning tutorials online, back to the Adobe suite. Some of the things I learned earlier are now relevant. And I started learning those things. So self-taught as a uh, web designer and yeah, I started putting myself out there and some people knew I was doing this. So, you know, one day someone referred me and they said, hey, I heard you can make websites. Now, in my mind, I was thinking, technically, I haven't made anything. But when they said that, I was like, why? Yes, sure. Yes, I I do make websites. And then that led to me fumbling through my first project. But that's how I started freelancing, because after that, they uh, they paid me. And I was like, wow, I got paid for a service. I'm a freelancer now. So that's pretty much how I stumbled and tripped my way into freelancing and throughout there. I just took time to uh, get better at my skills. Just to put that into perspective, like when did you first say, yeah, sure, I build websites and do that? How long ago was that? Yeah, that was pretty much uh, about nine years ago. I think the internet was a little different then. What I mean by that is there wasn't as many pieces of content teaching you how to do web design. So it somewhat was scattered all over the place, but I used whatever I could to try to get better at my craft. And on that note, it's, it's funny uh, one of my clients during that time was Envato. Envato, they make uh, different projects for the web and templates, and they sell different uh, creative assets. And I, I, you know, I stumbled into working with Envato on a project, and they said, "Oh, as a part of working with us, we also want to give you free access to all of our tutorials." I said, "Oh, great!" But that's when I learned a lot of things I learned on my own. I didn't learn the proper way, so I was like, "Oh, now I actually have a, a place." where I can double check on my skills and get better. So after that, I started getting definitely better in specific areas. So how long did you keep working for that company? Yeah, they. Uh, I pitched them a couple of ideas of, hey, well, I think we need to offer certain services. They didn't seem too interested. So I worked at that company nearly uh, four years. And I was still you know, doing freelance, a side hustle, if you will, side projects, doing that. And then uh, I moved on to another company and I became their web analytics manager. And it's interesting because the skills that I did in freelance got me the next position, not necessarily anything that I was doing at the previous job. So yes, uh, the web hosting company did teach me how website is set up for the web, but a lot of skills I learned and did on my own inside projects, that's what landed me a higher paying position as a web analytics manager. And then how long did you do that? Still continuing to freelance on the side, I presume? Yes, that was about three years. And then once again, yeah, I got referred. Someone contacted me and I started working with a hospital system here in Texas. And I started working as a digital marketing strategist for that particular company there. Still doing side projects, still freelancing. Yeah. So what's that? So that's about seven years or so, isn't it? Seven years perhaps of working for companies, but freelancing on the side. Were you starting to think maybe I could do this or did you not want to? Were you quite happy doing it as a as a side thing? Kind of a total of a couple of things, uh, just being completely transparent. The first thing is I mentioned I went to university and I had student loans from there. So freelancing also became a way for me to pay for things or in a sense increase my salary when I felt I wasn't getting enough from the day job. So That's how I purchased a car. That's how I purchased many things. It's just really from freelancing. Also, paying off those student loans. I had student loan debt from my undergraduate experience. And I didn't mention this, but 
at the time I left the web hosting company and started working as a web analytics manager at another retail place, um, I started getting my MBA. So I also had student loans for that as well. So freelancing as a little bit in my experience has been helping me fund my education and pay off any student loans that I had. I'll be honest, if I did not have any student loans, I, I would have went like full time a long time ago. But because I was sitting there, I didn't necessarily feel comfortable. And so you've got effectively two salaries coming in, which is helping pay things off and move things forward for you. But that also means doing two jobs. <laughs> you've got the money, you've got to do the work. So how are you fitting everything in? I've gotten better at it over time. Uh, I've never achieved perfect balance. But normally what that looks like is going to work uh, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. after work. Then, you know, using any time that I have after work and scheduling certain things, um, I still take phone calls during the day or uh, lunch break or wherever I can or answer emails whenever I have some free time. But besides that, it's really just taking calls, working with clients on nights and weekends for the most part. I'm never up until the wee you know, hours of the day, if you will, or to the a.m., but uh, just speaking and working with people. Some people appreciate uh, oh, you do work another. This is a side hustle. Oh, they don't mind it. And other people, yes, they feel that if since you're working two things, maybe you're not as focused. But uh, you can really overcome that just by the production in your work. Interesting. I tell you what. So you are still working the the full time job and freelancing on the side. I am now. A quick note. A quick note about that. One reason why I'm doing that now, and I didn't mention this in the background, but when I first started freelancing, and I was actually getting a lot of clients on the side. I didn't like the type of clients I was getting. They were the type of clients who were looking to save as much money as they could, not necessarily pay me for the value I was providing. So I was like, how can I shift the type of clients that I have? So I also, during this time period, went through a place of trying to reposition myself as a business, as a brand, as a creative professional. I've been repositioning myself. And I did freelance full-time for a little bit, but the reason I'm still working today is I really wanted an inside look of how to work for a Fortune 500 company or a Fortune 5000 company. What do they look for in freelancers and what do they say when the freelancer is not around? So right now I'm still working, but it's somewhat a little bit more undercover. And I'm documenting a lot of those things that they're saying because I'm trying to get to the point to where uh, I've seen some freelancers that we work with in my uh, day job. You know, they're making 180K and the company's not even blinking about it. So uh, I'm really trying to look at what do high value companies really look for in freelancers or an agency. That's a little bit of what I'm studying right now. Ah, and you're doing that from the inside. So you mentioned doing an MBA. So that's a business master's type degree, right? Correct. Master's in business administration. And then my specialization is uh, marketing and marketing analysis. Cool. Did what you took from that, um, was that like a year or something, was it? Because I did it part-time, so I, I would, this was probably the busiest time of my life. Yeah, studying, working, and working. Correct. I think it started fall of 2010, and then I finished in 2013. But as you mentioned, uh, going to work, leaving work, answering whatever emails I could or whatever project I could do between work and class, going to class, getting off at 9.30 or 10 p.m., coming home and then waking up and doing it again. I did that for, as I mentioned, about three years. But for me, that was very important because a lot of things I learned, I can apply them directly to my freelance business. That's where a lot of like repositioning and 
changing certain things and branding came into place when I was uh, going through the graduate program, getting my MBA. So I was able to directly apply everything I learned to my own business because I noticed in class when they would speak on a topic or talk about a certain theory, they were really framing it as applying it to a company. So they were like, when you work for this company, you need to do. So they always applied it to you working for a company, but no one ever told me, well, I can work for myself. But since I already had a business, I started applying things to it and uh, I started seeing results from that. What were some of the key things that you started to change and, and the, you know, the difference that they made? Uh, one of the biggest things is just branding, how companies, in a sense, create their own persona and project the type of uh, perception they want the audience to receive them. So that goes from everything of your, your brand voice, um, how people interact with your brand, being consistent in your, your colors, your design, your presentation. Because the word professional implies certain things about it. So people are expecting certain things. When I say brand voice, that's everything from what you're saying on social media all the way down to how you answer certain emails. That was one important thing. Uh, and probably my favorite class... Uh, in the entire time I was pursuing a graduate degree, they had a class called Pricing Strategies. This is why and how businesses come up with their prices, why they're doing what they're doing, a little bit of supply chain. And that allowed me to see, wow, I was in the past somewhat making up my prices, being a little arbitrary with whatever I quoted clients instead of thinking it through and being really systematic on how I um, projected and quoted my prices to clients. So that was big for me as well, changing my pricing, but also having the explanation on why I was changing it and how it's valuable. So pricing strategies was a big class for me during that time period. And has the sort of clients that you work with changed over the past few years? They have. Uh, they've definitely changed. They're more closely aligned to what I was looking for and what I really wanted. Also, the interesting thing is I have a few clients who have worked with me when I wasn't charging that much, and they're still working with me now that I'm charging a lot more or three times as much, sometimes four times as much. But now I, I do a better job of explaining the true value that's there rather than throwing out an arbitrary price and saying, I hope they take it. I really hope they don't object. Now I can actually explain or defend if I have to, but uh, I can really explain why it's valuable and why it's worth what it is. So knowing now that you're working a, you know, a nine to five, whatever the hours might actually be, you've got a freelance career on the side, but I know from, you know, checking you out that you do a lot of content marketing. Yeah. You uh, podcast videos, writing, speaking, like loads of different things like that. How do you balance finding that time when time is so tight between client work and marketing yourself as a freelancer balance what is that no <laughs> <laughs> no honestly uh it's really just at least for me uh it's really and the job i have is a lot more flexible than previous ones so i do appreciate that that's also important when if you are working full-time uh, i mentioned i worked as a web analytics uh, manager at a previous job that job left me no time to do almost anything so I felt like my freelancing was suffering because it's like, wow, I spent all my time doing these things for the company in long hours. This is not really a good job to freelance with. But if you can find a day job that would allow you to have a little bit more freedom, doesn't take away all your time and energy, that's more ideal for you to work a day job and grow your freelance business. For me, I'm trying to solve the problem of cash flow 
for freelancers. I, I did experience and I do observe how there can be cash flow problems trying to get that next client. Some of the clients I worked with, I didn't like in the past in terms of they were paying me low, but I said yes anyway, because I, I needed the money to keep the cash flow going in my freelance business. But currently, and a lot of what I do, I'm working to fix that cash flow problem. So that means I do have a day job, as I mentioned. I am freelancing on the side. I do teach on YouTube and have my own podcast. I do have productized consulting, and we can dive into that. And I do offer different products as well, because offering all those things allows cash to currently come in more regularly instead of me begging or having to say yes to a client I don't really want to work with, but I need the money. So just trying to diversify different sources of income. But the main thing for me is to make things easy. Um, so that would mean my podcast, I have a particular day where I record because it's a video podcast as well as audio. So that's a little bit more work, but uh, have a particular day, record the podcast. I'm able to do it without making many mistakes as I used to. I used to always make mistakes when trying to record those podcasts uh, and those videos, but now it's record and do these things in under 30 minutes, edit and get it up in under 30 minutes. The podcast episode is done. Schedule that out for the future. I also have a certain segment of my podcast now where I purchased a GoPro, mounted the GoPro in my car, and I answer Q&A questions while driving on my commute. So now I'm using my time on my commute effectively. Go to work, do what I have to do after work. It is answering any emails I had and working on projects. A lot of times in a given day, I have three hours to get things done. So and And then I use the weekend to make up anything that would take longer. So for me, it's about when the time comes around, I don't have a lot of time to waste. I need to use the time effectively and get done whatever I can in those three hours a day leading to the weekend. So it's really just if you want to watch Netflix, if you want to watch Hulu, you know, if you want to do those things, that's fine. But during certain times, it's like this cannot happen. You have to finish this work. Otherwise, things will just pile up. Yeah. So it's that dedicated time to it. And in fact, maybe having the time restriction helps with that focus and that consistency. It does. I would say, and it still happens to me today, I try to always wait for a time where I'm inspired or I just need a block of time. I just need a block of six hours where I can be focused. And sometimes that's not realistic. So it's literally sitting down and saying, how much time do you have? One hour? Great. Two hours? Get as much done as you can in the one hour or two hours, whether you feel inspired or not. Because when you do work for an hour then the next time you sit down, uh, you'll have all those things taken care of. Instead of trying to look for a pocket of six hours or so, that's not really realistic, at least not for me. Something's going to happen or someone's going to call me, right? I still have a social life. Someone's going to call me, invite me to something. Something's going to happen. So on that note, when you have the time, use it wisely because you never know how things will shake out in other places. So if you have an hour, great. Use the hour to the best of your ability. And then you'll see it'll be easier for you the next time you sit down. Yeah, I like that. Well, I'm glad you mentioned a social life because I was starting to, you, <laughs> you said balance what balance. And I was thinking as well, where, where is the, the wiggle room in here? Or are you sort of tending to keep your weekends free? Oh, I still have fun and, uh, you know, hang out, do different things, spend time with friends. I still do all those things as well. Uh, I think the biggest thing for me is looking at my calendar. So if somebody asks me a question, they say, what are you doing on this date? I, I don't say yes. I say, let me check my calendar because a lot of times I can forget different things or obligations or appointments. 
So I put everything on my calendar and I just use something as simple as Google Calendar, nothing fancy, but uh, I just put everything on my calendar just so I know what is taking place and what I'm obligated to do and block off that time. So sometimes if somebody invites me to something, I say, great, but I put that on the calendar as well so I don't forget. So it's just all about whatever makes the calendar and then reorganizing and shifting that based on priority. But ultimately, I put everything on the calendar. Mm. How have you found doing the podcast, by the way? I mean, you, you mentioned getting better at it over over time, but how have you found doing it? And how, how long have you been doing it for that matter? I started the podcast in fall of 2015. Uh, I just I started the podcast, wasn't sure what to talk about. So I just started you know, speaking on things that I learned, even speaking on things that I learned while getting my MBA graduate degree. I said, just teaching on these topics. I was a bit apprehensive because, you know, the thought is everybody does this. Everybody has a podcast. Everybody talks about this. But I, I think it's important for some people to hear your individual voice as a creative. So if nothing else, this is something to demonstrate my expertise. So I started that fall 2015. Uh, when I first started recording, it would take me like 35 to 40 minutes to do a five-minute episode <laughs> uh, because I would mess up all the time and I was worried about what I was saying and different things of that nature. But, you know, repetition can get you better. So as I did more, I was able to simply write an outline and just record and not really mess up that often. And then even streamlining how I am editing things that got faster at that and then... Uh, separating the video from the audio and putting it on the proper channels. I just got better over time. So the more I did it, the better I got. I enjoy the podcast. Uh, I've enjoyed it a lot because my goal for the podcast is not to get 1 million downloads. My goal was to create a central place for learning that I wish I had when I started as a freelancer. That was my goal. So I think that's a big thing for anyone with a podcast. Why are you doing what you're doing? Or if you want to start a podcast, what is your main goal? Because if your main goal is getting downloads or trying to grow into this podcast celebrity, you'll get very fatigued because that may take a long time. So you'll get very tired or burnt out trying to achieve that goal. But my goal, I just got an email this morning with somebody thanking me for an, one of my podcast episodes. It really helped them. Things like that. That was my goal. So I know I'm accomplishing my goal. So I'll still do the podcast. Yeah. By the way, we'll put a link at beingfreelance.com through to everything that Nathan's up to. So you can check out the podcast and, and, and what have you as well. So you can see or hear what we're talking about. So that is a, a long time now, really. That's like a good nearly three years of sticking to that. So other than fulfilling you and, you know, hitting that personal goal, is that helping your business as well? It is from two sides. I mentioned earlier diversifying your income as a freelancer. I don't know why I never did this in the past, but I had a good conversation with Jane Portman. She is a, a UI designer. She has a podcast called UI Breakfast. So she's been on my podcast and I've been on her podcast, but a good conversation about productized consulting. That's something I was not offering in the past. It was just me saying, do you want a website or not? But not everyone needed a large project. Some people needed advice. Some people needed just a smaller service. And now I do offer productized consulting. Um, so the podcast brings in different types of people. Some people see me teaching other creatives and in their mind, it places me as more of an expert, more of an authority. 
because they see me teaching other creatives. So clients can come in from the podcast and say, I heard you talk about this. Um, it's interesting. I apply that to my business. I saw results. Can you help me in another area? So it does bring in clients, but also it brings in other freelance creatives who uh, may need help in their business as well. So if nothing else, it does fulfill me. It does help me give back to the creative community, but also uh, it does bring in different types of clients. You know, some are my peers, but some are people just looking at me as a professional. So uh, yeah, the podcast is doing what I initially planned it to do, which was reposition myself as an expert. And that's really, I think that's working. Most people find me and they're like, oh, I saw one video. And then they look back at the archive of how long I've been doing this. And like, oh, this guy's serious. So it's finally doing what I really set out for it to do. And then there's sometimes I do encounter a potential client or uh, a peer that maybe cannot afford my services or doesn't want to work with me at the moment. I can at least point them to a series of videos and answer their question. So I still help people. It doesn't always have to be a formal project, but I can still help you by saying, oh, go watch these five videos. You'll probably get the answer you're looking for. Yeah. When you mentioned the productized consulting, as you called it, what does that look like for you? How have you found that? Yeah. So productized consulting would be if you're breaking down some of your service, and I'll give an example of me myself. If you're breaking down your overall product offering into smaller segments to help people out. So you would be selling those things as a fixed price or a value-based offering. So I used to just say web design, web design, web design. Does anybody want to work with me for a full web website design? Of course, that's the most costly product offering that I have. And also that takes some time, but breaking that down, not everyone needs that. For, so for some people, it's literally let me do a website audit. Let me observe and look at your website and give you feedback on different things that you need to change. So you can make those changes yourself, or uh, maybe this does turn into a project now. I'm the one to make those changes, but maybe right now the website's not converting like you would like it to. I can go through it and give you an evaluation and look at your analytics and report back to you on how to improve that website. So that's a product that leads into a project, but if they want to just stop there, that's perfectly fine. And that's something that doesn't cost them as much as a full website design that I used to have as the only main product. So that's one thing. Also with productized consulting, I used to do strategy or road mapping before I get into a project. So in other words, I'm meeting with the client and we're talking through their business goals, what's important, how they should find their brand voice online, how they need to position themselves in the market online and how they need to write and how we need to set up the website. I would do that as a part of a larger project, but maybe they don't need that larger project. Maybe it's just the strategy session or the roadmap, and then they can take that strategy and roadmap and work with me or anybody else they want to work with, but at least they have that plan. So it was me looking at my process after I fully defined it and then just segmenting out certain things in smaller chunks that people can use to work with me. Yeah, it's an interesting idea. And how did you feel about when you were pricing that? Did you have to experiment? I think you do, no matter who it is. Me personally, I did. Uh, definitely experiment because you'll find, put a price on it, uh, see how people respond. You may have to increase that, right? If you get a lot of people coming to you and it's taking up all your time, then you're like, okay, maybe I need to bump up this price a little bit. But I've also found that helps people with price anchoring. So people can finally fully see 
that what you're offering is valuable. So if I do a roadmap or strategy session and it's for an hour or two hours and I put a price tag on it, people now see my time is valuable and my time is worth this. So if we work on a full project and they know I'm working multiple hours, they can maybe see they're getting a deal by working with me on a full project. So it also helps with price anchoring and helping people see what is truly valuable, but definitely experiment, put a price tag on it. I wouldn't overthink it. You know, it's easy to say uh, road mapping session, try $200, see what happens, try $1,000. And then if they want to do a full project, they know it's going to be that much more. So just put different prices on it and see what it is. Um, I think everybody needs to evaluate what an hour of their time is worth. I know what an hour of, of my time is worth. So I know what I want to price things. But everybody has to figure out what that is and just make sure it's higher than whatever an hour of your work is. And you'll probably be okay with that. Mm. What would you say has been the biggest challenge for you? Uh, the biggest challenge for me, because it's taken time, would probably be repositioning my brand and repositioning myself. Uh, I wish I knew a lot of things earlier. So I would say this. Even though you may feel like a beginner or even though you may feel like you don't have as much experience as someone else, I would still weigh on the side of charging more because there's some companies out there and agencies out there, they do awesome work. And in your mind, you think they're the ones that did it. Maybe they are, but more than likely they went and found a freelancer. The freelancer did it. <laughs> they gave it to a client and then they put it in their portfolio, which is fine. But you don't even know how much experience the freelancer they found has. So that's been the biggest challenge in terms of repositioning myself because it's taken so long in terms, it wasn't just a couple of months for me. It took, the first thing was changing my prices. The next thing was finding the right clients. The third thing was my podcast and even more. So it's just taken time. So it's been a challenge because of the time I've invested. Yeah. Do you think that it just takes time though, that, that it takes that degree of patience or, or it could have been done quicker perhaps if you were full-time freelance? I believe it takes time. Uh, the, the, thing, the thing though is with every new project, in a sense, you could reposition yourself. So I was charging the same thing for many projects, but what I probably should have done was if I get a project and it goes well, charge more for the next project. So like every new project or every new potential customer is an opportunity for you to reposition yourself, at least in their minds. So that's what I would say. Uh, start earlier. Start doing that sooner because to your point, it is going to take time. So start as early as you can, right? Um, so that's what I would say, uh, I, you know, start earlier. And just one thing, I often speak to freelancers who, you know, we talk about the sense of community or isolation and things like that. Obviously, you have a full-time job, but are there other people that you surround yourself with who are doing a similar thing to you, not just a full-time job, not just free, you know, like that juggle that you're doing? I find, not that this matters, but I'm a millennial, so, uh, so <laughs> everybody writes about me, I'm a millennial, but... Being a millennial, there's a lot of people that were in my same position. They have these student loans, but they, they want to start a new business. What do they do? So I do have quite a bit of friends that are also freelancing as well. So, you know, we may talk about our struggles, our ups and downs. Also, I'm a part of uh, many different online communities. So that connects me to different people around the world. 
the online communities I'm a part of. Some of them are paid online communities and other ones are, you know, simple communities that are Slack groups that are free for uh, freelancers and creatives and designers to join. So I'm a part of those communities. I stay in touch with different people online. And then lastly, um, I would say is I still go to uh, WeWork or co-working spaces. I go to different co-working spaces and I do meet people there and I do network with different people there. They may see me working, strike up a conversation and uh, we exchange cards. So um, yeah, definitely in real life, it's my friends who are freelancing as well as going to co-working spaces, but online digitally, I'm a part of uh, quite a few different online communities and I keep in touch with people there. So uh, just seeing what other people are doing, asking questions, different people are at different levels, getting feedback from people. How are you handling this in your business? This is what I'm doing. What about you? Now that definitely helps overall, I would say. What brought you to a paid community? Like what, what, what does that look like? for example. What justifies putting your hand in your pocket to, to pay for something that you haven't got elsewhere? I think the biggest thing for me about a paid community is people are a little bit more serious about getting advice as well as giving certain levels of advice because they've invested actual money behind it. The biggest difference I see between free communities and the ones that I've paid for is if I leave a question or a comment in a free community, it may sit there for a while because no one is obligated to answer. It didn't cost anything. So they may pop in, they may not. No one sometimes feels a sense of responsibility to give an answer. But in the paid communities, if I ask a question, they will answer it fairly soon, fairly quick because they're invested. So in order to get their money's worth, they have to be in there. So uh, that's what I would say. It's just more responsiveness from the paid communities versus the ones that are not. Mm. So it's been worth it for you? Uh, I believe so. There's been many questions that I've asked and someone who's already been through it gives feedback on it and it's saved me any trouble or helped me avoid some common pitfalls. So yeah, it's definitely been worth it. Cool. Now, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself for you to make two true and one a lie and let me figure out the lie. So what have you got for me, Nathan? All right. Uh, the first fact is I have saved children from a burning building. That is the first fact or lie. Who knows? Um, it's for you to think about and decide. Uh, the second thing is uh, I have worked as a paper boy uh, or delivering newspapers to people's houses. That is the second fact or lie. It's for you to decide. <laughs> and lastly, um, one of my favorite meals is jelly and cheese sandwiches. Jelly and cheese sandwiches are one of my favorite meals. Uh, that is a fact or a lie. It depends it's for you to decide. <laughs> I like the, the, the added slogan there, you to decide. So jelly and cheese, burning building, and paperboy, wasn't it? Yes. Okay. So when you were a paperboy, see, I have a vision of American paperboys being on their bikes and just lobbing newspapers at windows. Uh, it comes from years of watching films and TV shows. Was it that kind of thing? Somewhat, except for no bicycle, because I had too many newspapers. I had like this apparatus where I stacked up all these papers in the front, on the side, and on my back, like a backpack. Imagine me wearing like four huge backpacks and walking down the street as I stumble. And did you do that thing that we see on TV shows or films where you would throw the paper at the door? 
I got better at it over time. So at first I had to walk to make sure it was right on the doorstep. Some, you know, some people will complain. They said, they'll, they'll, they'll call in and they'll say, I had to walk in the grass to get the paper. How dare he? So people would call in and complain if it wasn't on the actual doormat, if you will. But I got better at it. I was able to walk in the street and throw it and get it almost perfect. I even remember playing a computer game. I think it was even called Paperboy, where you had to cycle along throwing newspapers. That was the main aim of the game. And I played that game before becoming a Paperboy, and it was nothing like that. No bike, no ramp, no uh, killer dog coming at me, no cars. I had to do a wheelie to jump over it. So it wasn't really exciting like that. I think that game lies to you. Burning building. Now, that is exciting. You rescued children from a burning building. I was around when I was uh, 14, 15. I was outside with a friend playing uh, basketball. You know, we were joking with one another, and he said, I'll see you later. Then he walked around the corner and yelled out, you know, oh, my gosh, there's a house on fire. And I, and I said, you know, you're lying, because if there was a house on fire, I would see smoke. <laughs> so then I walked around the corner. I was like, oh, my God, there's a house on fire. When it, it's, it was an apartment complex. We ran in, saved some children. The second thing we did is because many of these houses were connected to one another, we uh, ran around the entire building, knocking on doors, telling people there was a fire. Some people believed us, some people didn't. But when they looked out the window and saw smoke, it didn't take long to convince them. And uh, no one was injured or hurt. Uh, you know, we were able to get everybody out. And were you recognized as heroes? Were you in the paper that you were delivering? I was on the news, but this is funny. For my age, I gave a very intelligible interview. And, you know, I said, I think I might be on the news. I told my mother and a few other people, I said, I might be on the news, you know, look out for it. So I gave a very intelligible interview. And by the time I was on the news, this is the only thing they put. There was fire everywhere. That was it. <laughs> that was it. Everything else I said and articulated, they took completely out. And that was the only thing they used. I said, that's ridiculous. Amazing. But uh, yeah, and I, I got some phone calls. Some people asked me questions, but I was like, yeah, you know, this happened. We just did what we could to help. <laughs> that sounds these both sound so true jelly and cheese so jelly that's jam to us here in the uk so jam yes it is take two slices of bread go ahead and put on the jam and then add the cheese because it has a sweet and tart type flavor and yeah it's very very nutritious what what would be your favorite jelly and your favorite cheese combination uh, grape would do well. Grape or strawberry would go a long way. Can you remember the first time you had it? Like, were you saying... It was, oh, let's make peanut butter and jelly. Oh, man, we are out of peanut butter. Just put cheese on it. God, these are all believable. I tell you what, if that burning fire or paper boy are not true, then you are a superb liar and storyteller. I'm going to say the jelly and the cheese is the lie. Yes, that is not true. It's jelly and cheese. Who want, who wants to eat that? <laughs> so I'm right. Jelly and cheese yes. is the lie. You are correct. Really? Which is even more amazing. But tell, was that was that whole thing about being on the news true? It was. It so felt true. That's brilliant. Fire everywhere. Well, excellent. Well played. I enjoyed that. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? I said it a little bit earlier, but the two things I would say is start now and charge more. Because in a sense, starting now, as I mentioned, I, I wanted to wait till I was good enough. When my friends first referred me my project, the first project I ever had, I wasn't advertising my services. I was still working on things because I felt I wasn't good enough. I'm not good enough. And even though I did stumble through the first project, 
you know, I it was a paid project. The client didn't know how much I did not know, right? They just thought I was fine. You know, I had the expertise and they went on with it. But I would definitely tell my younger self, start now, even all the way back in university, I would tell myself, start doing things now. Because as we talked about in our conversation, it will take time for you to get better. So since that's the case, you might as well start as early as you can and let that natural progression happen. And the charge more is tied to that, thinking that you're not good enough. I'm not to a level where I can charge a lot. Uh, Just charge more because you're really charging for the value you're providing. And the fact that you have taken the time to learn a skill that others have not, there's a lot of value in that. So those are the two things I would tell myself. Start now. Don't wait. I know you don't think you're good enough, but start now. Also, don't be afraid to charge more because you have a valuable skill that will only get better as time goes on. That's great. Nathan, thank you so much for chatting and sharing today. Do check out what Nathan is up to. Please go to beingfreelance.com and there will be links through as there are for all of our guests. And while you're there, make sure you have hit subscribe to Being Freelance as well so that you don't miss out on uh, more of these conversations. But Nathan, thank you so much and all the best finding those our chunks because clearly they're building something really great and all the best being freelance and thank you and again steve thank you for having me uh, it's been an honor it's been fun great conversation and thank you for the well wishes 